Our speaker today is Victor Lacherva, MD. He's going to talk about the aging journey, something nobody in this room might be familiar with. Victor has spoken to us before, and it's always been a privilege to listen to him. He's worked and been involved in men's wellness for almost 40 years. And I just want to introduce Victor Lacherva, Three Principles of Conscious Aging. Thank you so much. It's always an honor and a privilege to be with you. In 2018, I started to write a book that I called Thanatopia, Conscious Aging and a Good Death. And I sent it out to, I don't know, a couple of dozen agents, most of whom just completely ignored it. But a couple wrote back to me and said, you will never sell a book with that title. Forget about it. Last March, I was diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma. So I think I'm more prepared now to actually finish the book (laughs) because I've got a certain amount of additional wisdom under my belt, so to speak. The first principle that I wanted to talk about today is a simple one. It's I surrender. The first principle of surrender really is just let it go. And what we may need to let go of in the particular moment is control, denial, fear, pleasure, our own will. There's various things that will show up. Wherever those chains, in a sense, are the tightest is perhaps where we need to focus on just let go. And the visual image that I like to use for let go is simply that of a process that I call open the gates. I just imagine the gates opening and the waters coming out and rising my fear-filled boat so that I have a larger perspective. So the first aspect of surrender is let it go. The second aspect of surrender is spaciousness. Unruly betrayals of my own corpus are in full force, creating lots of turbulence. When the MRI comes back with disobedient results, when my knee starts squawking at me yet again, that's the time to create some spaciousness. And one of the ways that we create spaciousness is to use the power of our mind. So, for example, with pain, a way to create some space is to just imagine that you're fluffing up some clouds around the pain or the discomfort. And for me, that works to, in a sense, let it be. The pain is the pain. The pain hasn't really changed. But I've created a little more space around it with that notion of some fluffiness. And I think that that's always helpful. Spaciousness also in our lives in terms of the balance between doing what we love but also those many moments when we have to just sort of love whatever it is that we're doing, including all the routine, mundane tasks of taking care of not only aging bodies, but aging cars and aging houses. These first two ideas, let it go, and spaciousness, I think are helpful in the process of surrender, because surrender is not about giving up, right? It's about changing our perspective as to what's happening so that we don't put a lot of useless energy into struggling and finding that fine balance. The third piece of surrender to me is about welcoming fear and uncertainty as my teacher. Anything can happen at any time. We tend to live in denial of that, but the reality is this could be the last celebration you get to attend. This could be the last conversation that you have with your child. You just don't know. 
and none of us knows. And at the same time, if it's something we can do something about, then there's no need to worry because we'll do something about it. If there's something we can't do anything about, then there's also no need to worry because, once again, it's going to just unfold as it unfolds. Montaigne, a French Renaissance philosopher, once said, my life is full of terrible things, most of which never happened to me. (laughs) So it's that whole idea of what we do with our big brains and our worry machine that frequently will get us into trouble. So the three aspects of surrender, let it go wherever the chains feel tightest, create some spaciousness if possible, and continue to find a way, and it's not always easy, to welcome fear and uncertainty as our teachers. I want to give you some tools for each of these principles. So one of the tools that I use a lot with surrender is the sigh. Everybody take a deep breath and... Yeah. yeah. You don't need to go to an eight-hour workshop to learn how to do it. It's kind of a built-in response that we all have. You take a deep breath in, you let it out with some kind of moan, groan, or even joyful noise. And it just is a way in the moment of surrendering that's quite easy and, to me, quite beautiful. Sometimes I sigh right into the phone when I get one of those telemarkers, you know, interrupting my dinner, who I always try and be kind and compassionate with. And I say, I know you got a rough job, but... The second tool for this notion of surrender is the reframe. And many of us may call this by a different name, but we probably do it all the time. An example of a reframe was those barking dogs in the middle of the night that are keeping you awake from your neighbor are actually saying very many beautiful complimentary things about you. It's just in dog speak. I'll give you another example. I had an elderly friend that I don't get together with very often who came to Santa Fe, and we were going out to dinner together, and I always look forward to our conversations because they're wonderful. And we finally get seated in the restaurant, and we're next to not one, but two crying and wild toddlers. And I'm a pediatrician. I was raised a pediatrician. I love kids. It's normally not an issue. But in this moment, I wanted to have this really close, wonderful, intimate conversation with this friend who always teaches me something. And again, in that evening, he did. He leaned over. He could see I was getting somewhat distressed. And he leaned over and he said, let's pretend that we're on a planet where children are held in the highest esteem. And when they emote, as they're doing right now, they're actually letting go of all of the suffering that exists in the world. And it totally changed my uh, perspective in the moment. So the essence of this particular tool for surrender, the reframe, is really about let's pretend. It's let's pretend that that barking dog is something else, is saying something lovely about me. Let's pretend that this pain in my knee is actually a reminder to be grateful that all my other joints are okay. It's about reframing when you notice that you're about to spin down, as we all do and, of course, have permission to do as well. The second principle is I mourn. How many people have been to memorials in the last year, more than one memorial in the last year? I've been to three or four this year, and it's always amazing to me when I go to these, first of all, at the depth of community involvement that the individual has had, not just the community that I'm part of with them, but often many other communities that I had no idea about. This one guy, I remember going to his memorial and learning that he was constantly winning dance competitions in the state, and that he was also a renowned chess master on the side. I had no idea. None of that was part of our relationship in our community. 
So memorials always bring up for me the richness of human experience that we get to have and get to share and the depth that that exists in pretty much every life if we have the opportunity to share some of that. So it's not just about death, of course, I mourn. It's about the loss of functionality, about the things that we used to be able to do that we can't do anymore. I used to love to run in the Arroyos. I can't do that anymore. Normally, I would memorize whatever poems I'm going to share with you, but my brain is a little bit fuzzy with a lot of night wakening, so I'm going to read a poem instead of memorizing it. It's that loss of functionality. And for some of us, it's a slow, gradual thing. And for others, it's like falling off a cliff. In my own men's group now, there are 11 of us that have been together for more than 35 years. We've lost one member. But one guy has Parkinson's, just got into assisted living. Another guy's had bladder and prostate cancer, had everything taken out. Another guy's got bone cancer that's not responding to normal treatments. Another guy was just in the hospital for two days to deal with a large kidney stone. I could go on. We call it the organ recital when we get together and the medication check-in. So loss is everywhere. It's true for younger people as well, but in a different way than for those of us on this kind of final frontier journey. And so how do we deal with it? What are the essence of it? And, of course, there's a lot of books written about grief. I'm going to just give you a quick take of things that I think are useful. The first, of course, is feel everything. Grief always involves a lot of different emotions, fear, anger, joy. It's all the basic emotions and all the variations of that. Guilt. I think that one of the most important things is that we give ourselves permission to feel everything. Along with that is the notion, the second piece, is about forgiveness. I had to forgive myself because I had this lump in my neck and I went to my primary doc and I said, don't you think we should image it? He said, no, let's wait. It seems to be getting smaller, blah, 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 blah. So then a year later, with the way the medical system is these days, before I finally get a diagnosis, and I'm a doc, I know how to navigate that system. So I had to forgive myself. Okay, there's a year that I didn't get treatment that I could have gotten treatment. It's that kind of a thing. All those should-haves, would-haves, could-haves that we impose on ourselves and also that we sometimes lay on other people when there's a loss, when there's a death, or when there's a rapid degradation in health that perhaps could have been prevented. So the second idea is about forgiveness. The third idea relative to that is to seek support. Many of us, particularly men, we like to go in our cave when stuff gets tough. And... Sometimes that's necessary, for sure. But then we need to also be able to reach out and seek support. And support, of course, means asking for what we need, not just accepting whatever other people think we need. The phrase that I use a lot of, I know your intention is great and good, but right now that's not helpful to me. It's an I statement. It's honoring what they're trying to do, but at the same time, I'm letting them know that whatever it is that they're offering at the moment is not helpful to me. So... Again, another useful piece. Lily Tomlin said, I believe that we developed language because of our deep inner need to complain. (laughs) But I think part of it is, again, that when we share stuff, my dad always used to say, I'm not complaining, I'm just explaining. Part of it is just letting it out. And that part of what happens with that isolation, again, is we create secrets. We create more secrets. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have a serious illness and they don't even tell their kids because they want to get it under control. They don't want to be a burden. They've got a whole list of things. That's really not, in my opinion, a healthy way of dealing with it. 
So this idea of I mourn is really about feel everything, forgive, and at the same time seek some support. So the tools that I like to use, one is what I call the just a simple process of looking in the mirror. Most of the time when we look in the mirror, we're doing something utilitarian. We're washing our face or brushing our teeth or flossing or popping zits or whatever it happens to be, combing our hair. But I invite you to try it tonight when you go to bed, when you're ready to go to bed. Just look in the mirror at your own eyes with a sense of forgiveness for whatever it is in your own mind that you didn't quite meet your own standards or do right today or whatever. Just that practice, a regular practice of self-forgiveness, I think helps us get through the losses. Oh, maybe I pushed it too much. I know my hand was hurting, and yet I didn't pay attention to that feedback. Whatever it is, but just look in the mirror for a few moments at ourselves with eyes of forgiveness to just really forgive ourselves. And the second practice related to loss and those types of things is the Tonglen Buddhist practice, which many in the room I'm sure are familiar with, where you breathe in all the suffering of the world and you allow your heart to transform it so that you then breathe out some healing, healing defined as any change for the better. So you breathe in the suffering and then you breathe out some form of healing or light. It's very helpful to think of another person sometimes who may be going through a difficult time. Or even if you're in the room with them, to just breathe in, allow, give space again to their suffering, and then breathe out some sense of light or healing. I want to read a quick poem by Chrétien de Troyes. There are griefs, but mine is different. It delights me. I delight in it. Thus grief is what I want, and this sorrow is my good health. I don't understand how I'm to complain. It's my will that brings my grief. It's my own will that turns into grief. I get such joy from willing this cry that I am in pain acceptably, and get such delight from my grief that I am deliciously in bad shape. (laughs) The final thought is this notion of adjust and adapt. I had a generously proportioned friend who said to me a while back, you know, I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes, but then I realized it was the refrigerator. (laughs) And George Carlin, of course, is famous for saying, isn't it amazing as you get older how anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone driving faster is a maniac? So this whole idea of adjust and adapt, my dad was a great model for me with that. He would always leave a light on above the stove by the oven fan whenever the burners were on. He had an electric stove. So he knew if that light was on, okay, there's a burner that's on. That would help him. When he was driving, he had his planned routes to things. He lived to be 91 and independently. And then he would always pull through so that he wouldn't have to back up because backing up got more challenging for him. Just simple examples. I notice with myself this idea of adjust and adapt. I fully embrace it. I carry around my little Merce, which got a space for my mask, my phone, my wallet, my glasses. So I'm all set. I keep everything in one place. I don't have to think about where is everything before I leave. And it helps. I love the idea of catch-up tea with friends. But I've got a wonky prostate, and tea is not always a good idea, especially later in the day. So I just do hot water with a little honey. It's just a simple way to adjust. So anybody have a quick example of adjust and adapt in their own life? Yes, please. Okay, she goes through two intersections rather than take an on-ramp because you feel safer. Yes. 
Always make right turns if you can. Car keys on the water bottle, so he knows he's got everything he needs. Yes, sir, one more. Drink some water to remind yourself to keep drinking enough water and stay hydrated. Yeah, so we're all doing this, but the idea is to bring more consciousness into it, that as we get older, adjusting and adapting is a very important part of what we do. Did you have one more that was burning? Okay, can't find something and I can't see, so I put my glasses on, right. And, of course, another way that people adjust and adapt is they leave a pair of glasses, and if we're blessed enough with the abundance, you leave a pair of readers in every room so you're not constantly searching for where my readers are. Okay, so you put your pants in a certain place so you know where they are when you get up. So, again, just a couple of tools around this idea of adjust and adapt. There's an expression in Italian which I absolutely love that they actually use a lot in Italy called meno male, less bad. Oh, you broke your leg. Oh, meno male, you didn't break both of them. It's a great little meno male, less bad. Oh, that's less bad. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling really tired this morning. Ah, but you can take a nap this afternoon. Meno male, you can take a nap. It's a wonderful way to lighten it up. The second is a gatha, again, a Buddhist notion that brings us back to the present moment. I choose peace instead in Saul's meditation. I choose peace right now. Um, You can make up your own that makes sense to you, but something that brings you back to the present moment and so you can just rest in gratitude and peace. I often use that one myself. I choose peace instead right now. Instead of struggling, being in a lot of distress because of whatever is bothering me at the moment health-wise, I just come back to that. I choose peace instead right now. And the second tool is that of When we look at other people, that person's moving really slow, and I'm in a hurry. Of course, I've always said rushing is a form of violence against ourselves and others. But there's this notion of just like me. So when you see this other person who's maybe behaving badly somewhat in the moment, it's easy to just say, just like me, this person is adjusting and adapting, trying to find happiness and avoid suffering. Just like me. To close out, I want to read a poem quickly by John O'Donohue. May you find the wisdom to listen to your illness. Ask why it came, why it chose your friendship, where it wants to take you, what it wants you to know, what quality of space it wants to create in you. What you need to learn to become more fully yourself, that your presence may shine in the world. May you keep faith with your body, learning to see it as a holy sanctuary, which can bring this night wound gradually towards the healing and freedom of dawn. I think as we do this journey together, the idea of I surrender, I mourn, I adjust and adapt, that those and the tools related to those that I've shared this morning, I hope will be helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs>